When 2020 began, nobody could have predicted what was about to happen. But here we are. Here we are in living rooms and in kitchens and patios and on hillsides and highways all over Virginia, all over the United States and even the world. Here we are reaching more people than ever before, living out our purposes to know God and to discover purpose and to get real and to make a difference and to be the change. We're seeing old relationships deepen and new ones begin through online groups that pray and support and study and even sing together. We're seeing people engage and give and share like never before. We're helping people like never before. And we're seeing people connect with our church who have never gone to church before. We pushed hard to make online church an engaging, meaningful experience for families to connect with God and with each other. Nobody could have predicted a pandemic, but the power of God cannot be confined. So here we are. Your church is thriving, and we're still focused on the mission that God gave us 18 years ago to reach people who don't go to church so that we can all experience the fullest lives possible through Jesus Christ. So whether you're with us online today or in one of our physical locations, here we are together. Get ready to experience the presence of God. Get ready to worship like never before. Get ready because no matter what is going on in the world around us, we trust in the one who knew all along where we'd be right now. So come with us and let's turn our attention to him right now. Welcome to church. Welcome to church, everybody. I'm so glad that you are here. Come on, stand up, stand up, stand up. I want you to know that here you are today at PCC, whether you're watching online or whether you're right here in the room with us, everybody is welcome just as you are. We're going to celebrate this truth today that we are loved, every one of us. So no matter who you are or no matter where you've been, no matter where you've come from, God sees you, he loves you, and you're welcome. Let's sing together. Come on. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. You ready? Sing it out now. Hey. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in him will Whoever believes in him will live forever. 
songs that are focused on the goodness of God and who he is and what we believe to be true. And we can build our life on that. We can trust in him and sing that together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
Show me. 
to church. You guys have a seat. Let's get comfortable. We're so glad that you're here today, and I want to say a special thanks to all the Dream Team volunteers who are leading us here, including these wonderful folks leading us in worship. Would you give them a hand? I'm Brian Pope, the Palatine Campus Pastor, and it's been a good day at church. Already we have sung songs that declare that God so loved the world, that Jesus is our helper and our healer, and that we can build our lives on his love. It's so important that we gather today and sing those words together. It confirms for me something. It confirms today that church really does matter. That being together really does matter. Connecting with others is one of the ways that we build our life on a firm foundation. Whether it's in person here or virtually we're from wherever you are, in person or online, we can share meaningful experiences together. Because right now our world is flooded with uncertainty, there's division and change and simply the unknown. And finding solid relationships and common ground can be difficult. Many of us are dealing with loneliness, frustration, and confusion. Or simply to be with people, the desire to be with somebody. What if the opportunity to change how you're feeling today is right in front of you? And all you had to do was say yes. I said yes to opening up and letting people in. I said yes to hanging out with my friends. I said yes because I knew something was missing in my life. <laughs> I said yes to an unexpected new family. I said yes to doing life with others. I said yes to doing my part. I said yes to living life with new friends. I said yes to meaningful conversations and growing in faith with others. Peg and I said yes to opening our home to others so they feel stronger together and never alone. We said yes to small groups. Small groups are where real life happens, where you can get real with others and build relationships that matter. And we believe that everybody should be connected with a small group at PCC, so we've made it easy for you. Listen, all you have to do is click the Say Yes banner on the app or on our website. You'll complete a short form there, and one of our awesome folks, one of our awesome team members here at PCC will be there and be in touch with you to help you say yes. You know, building relationships with the faith community is a great way to invest in the movement that God has for us here at PCC. Our church is fueled by the resources God provides through you. That's time that you invest with us in relationships and small groups. It's the time that you show up at church. It's becoming part of the dream team. It's about being the change that the world needs in our community around us. And it includes you giving financially your resources faithfully so that the church can do and be what God called us to do and be. And here's the thing, your investment in this movement has a guaranteed return, one that matters for eternity. Recently, someone told us that of all of her financial investments, nothing has matched the return on investment that PCC has given. And we're grateful to be in this together and thankful for every investment that you make here that allows us to reach people so that we can all live the abundant life that Jesus has promised. You can give right now online right there or in the, one of the giving boxes here in the room or in the atrium at the end of service today. It'll be the best investment that you ever make. During our experience on Sunday mornings, 
someone always prays, usually once or twice or three times when we're together. And what that person does, maybe you don't ever think about this, they, they bow their head and close their eyes like, like hopefully you do too, and, and we are invited to pray together. So that person is talking, but speaking words on all, our, all of our behalfs, and, and we join our hearts together, and we speak towards heaven through the words of this one person. In the Bible, many times that kind of prayer happens not with the spoken word, but with a song. Where someone, like many of the Psalms do, sing toward heaven, and we come alongside that person and echo those words. We nod our heads with the words that are being sung. Sometimes a prayer is not just spoken. Sometimes a prayer is a melody sung toward heaven. So my friend Beth and I were thinking about this week about what, what would capture this moment about how many of us feel and the, the cry of our heart towards heaven. I don't know about you, but many times during the last few months, including the last few days, I have cried out towards God some version of, God, I have had enough. I have had enough of this. Haven't you said that too in your own way? Haven't you said towards God something like, God, I can't take this anymore. I, can't, I have had enough of the division. I've had enough of the tender box where everybody's looking to pick a fight. I've had enough of all the politics. I've had enough of all the fighting. I've had enough of all the coronavirus. I've had enough. I've had enough of the uncertainty. I've just had enough. And I thought about the words that the Apostle Paul one time spoke in the Bible. He was crying out to God, just like we are right now. And he was saying, God, I've had enough. And you know what God said in response to him? He said, hey, I am enough. I am enough. It's almost like he said to Paul, almost like he said to me, stop that mess. I am enough for you. And so Beth and I remember this, this old song that really captures this moment. It's not a performance. It's a prayer. And our hope is that these words would echo a sentiment that all of us can capture and cry out towards heaven right now. Because at the end of the day, God his grace, his mercy, his love really is enough.
What I'm about to ask you to do will have zero political implications. We don't do politics at PCC, so don't worry, just relax. We also don't put people on the spot, but I think that in these questions, it'll probably be benign enough for you to respond by raising your hand, wherever you are. How many of you in school studied some aspect of George Washington? Raise your hand. We all did. We learned about his place as a legendary general, a surveyor, a plantation owner, a founding father, our first president, and the only president who was elected by a unanimous amount of the Electoral College. Part of his legend is not just in his leadership, 
But in the peaceful transfer of power that he orchestrated to his successor, something that history had not seen before in this experiment we call democracy. We are the beneficiaries of his legacy. How many of us learned in school something about Thomas Edison, right? His tenacity, his perseverance led us to the light bulb, of course, but also to the video camera and the alkaline battery and about a thousand other things. We are the beneficiaries of his legacy. How about Martin Luther King Jr.? Arising to prominence through the power of his words and the courage that was in his heart, he mobilized a movement that, while it was peaceful, also provoked change. And yes, there's still a lot to be done, but we are the beneficiaries of his legacy. One more, Clara Barton. She was a self-taught nurse as the nation entered the Civil War. She was a key figure in caring for wounded soldiers. She would find and bury the dead from both sides of the fighting. Hundreds of them were buried properly because of her. And then she went on to lobby more than one president face to face until she finally got permission to charter the American Red Cross. I thought about her as I gave blood a couple of weeks ago. We are the beneficiaries of her legacy. You and I, we look back on legendary people like these, not just to revere their accomplishments, but to learn from them. We stand on their shoulders as beneficiaries of all of their legacies. So, as spiritual people, as people who are trying to seek God and try to know who God is and understand and live in spiritual truth, we should do the same thing. We have to look back on spiritual giants, not just to revere what they accomplished, but to learn from them. Their stories inform our stories. They shape our future. They, they guide us closer towards God. Today, we're going to begin a journey like that. We're going to look at a legendary prophet named Elijah. A prophet is somebody who spoke on God's behalf. He, he would say and do the things that God told him to say and do in order to send messages to God's people. Today, this day, you and I, we don't have to have anybody stand in between you and God. You don't need me or a friend or a bishop or a pope in order to communicate with God. Although sometimes it's helpful to have a friend with you, but you don't have to have one. And yet, before Jesus, God used prophets to send messages to people. Not all prophets were equally memorable. Elijah, though, is truly legendary. Though his story takes place about 800 years before Jesus, he is referenced 29 times by Jesus and Jesus' earliest followers. Clearly, clearly Elijah was important to Jesus and the early church, so he ought to be important to us too. So in order to more clearly understand Elijah, today I'm inviting you to go on a field trip. It's okay. When we leave right now, we're all going to be able to be socially distanced. It'll be safe. It's also going to be fun. So come with me. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, 
There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Even the way the story of Elijah begins is an indication that something about him is different. I mean, with most prophets, we get some kind of background. We get to know them a little bit before they become a prophet like Moses. You know, Moses, we hear about his birth and his mother and a little bit about how he grew up. With Samuel, we hear about his birth and, and his mother's dedication to God. And, and with Amos, we, we see that he hears a vision. He sees a vision from God in advance. With Jonah, he's even mentioned a long time before he ever becomes a prophet. But with Elijah, he sort of drops out of nowhere. We get no background on him at all. We get no indication about what his family life is like or where he grew up or, or anything about his birth. We don't know what skills he's acquired or anything about him except where he's from, from Tishba in the region of Gilead. Maybe, maybe the fact that we know so little about Elijah is an indication that his background isn't important. But what is important is what he says to King Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Ahab was the king of Israel. And while technically he was leading the people of God, he was definitely not leading people towards God. As a matter of fact, he has the dubious distinction of being the most sinful king in all of Israel's history. A little bit earlier, we're told that Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not really a goal I'd like to achieve, to make God madder at me than anyone else. Ahab's greatest offense to God was that he allowed, he even encouraged Israel, the people of God, to worship a false god named Baal. Sometimes you hear it pronounced Baal, but really you'll hear me say Baal. That's the way they said it. You might remember that, you might know that worshiping any other god other than the one true God is an explicit prohibition in the Ten Commandments. So they were already violating the first and most important rule that there will be no other god than the one true God. But it gets even more interesting than that. See, Baal was the Phoenician god of fertility. He was the god of rain. So when Elijah comes and abruptly announces that there will be no more rain because the one true God who Elijah serves is really the one who creates the rain in the first place, that was a direct challenge, not just to Ahab as the king, but to this false religion that Ahab and everybody else had decided to follow. It's like Elijah is saying, you think you know who God is? I'm going to show you who God really is. So through Elijah, God announces that the faucet is about to be turned off. And, and it does. It, it, it's turned off. It doesn't rain for three and a half years. Now, a lot happens during that time, and, and I would encourage you to read it. You should read it. You can easily in 1 Kings 17 and 18. So go, go do that. But then in 1 Kings chapter 18, God speaks again. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. By now, Ahab hates Elijah. I mean, hates him. 
Though Elijah is just doing what God tells him to do, he's just speaking on God's behalf, he is the messenger. You probably heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Elijah may very well have said those words. So Ahab blames Elijah for all of these years of debilitating drought, not a single drop of rain all this time. And Ahab is humiliated, but he is still the king. So imagine the courage it took for Elijah to approach the most powerful human being he knew. But he does it. He does what God tells him to do. And instead of more drought, God actually has a surprise for Ahab. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Ahab was completely defeated. The worship of Baal had been discredited. There was a price on Elijah's head, but not even the entire army of King Ahab could actually take the guy down. And in that moment, as confidently as Elijah had announced that there would be a drought, he now announces that there will be rain. Maybe in Ahab's lowest moment, when much of his influence had been lost and his credibility was shot and his leadership was limping, maybe it was then that Ahab was finally aware of his weakness. Maybe it was when he was surrounded by his brokenness that God brings the blessing of heaven. Maybe that's on purpose. I don't know about you, but when my ego wins all of my actions, well, I don't need God then, or at least I don't act like I need God. I mean, after all, when I think I'm the most important person around, God can't be. In that way, maybe the drought wasn't so much a punishment as it was a pathway to humility. And when we are humble before God, we can receive his blessing. So Elijah tells Ahab, I I can hear the rain coming, which is funny if you want to know the truth. It wasn't raining yet. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It wasn't going to rain, except in the deep recesses of Elijah's soul. He could hear it raining because in God's timing, it was already pouring outside. You go. That's what he says to Ahab. You go, go ahead and eat, go ahead and drink because I hear the rain on the horizon. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. This is where Elijah's story collides with your story and my story, because somehow Elijah knew that there was a critical component needed to bring the blessing of God, and it was prayer. It's a funny thing about prayer. For many of us, prayer is a short exercise of bowing our heads, maybe while somebody else talks. Maybe your mind is agreeing with the person as they're speaking on our behalf to God. Or for some, maybe you'll bow your head as another prays as a sign of respect for them. Maybe just because you don't want to disrespect what they're saying. Maybe you're not all that bought into it. Or maybe Personally, you pray over a meal or maybe at bedtime. But remember earlier, we agreed that we need to look back at legendary people, not just to revere their accomplishments, but to learn from them. Elijah's story should inform us when it comes to the idea of prayer. For him, 
prayer wasn't simply something that you did at bedtime or something that you simply did over food. It was the bedrock of Elijah's relationship with God. And if we're going to learn from Elijah, we're going to make prayer an essential element of our connection with God too. I find the location interesting. When I pray, I'm usually sitting in a comfortable chair, leaning forward, of course, or maybe I'm on my knees in my climate-controlled house, or maybe I'm kneeling next to my very comfortable bed. While my posture is reflective of the importance of God's presence, I found something troubling in the Elijah story that we're reading right now. My prayer location usually reflects my desire that God would come to me. Elijah, though, travels up the mountain so that he could be near God. I'm not saying that all of us should go rock climbing every time we want to pray, but Elijah's journey illustrates something that's really important, that the point of prayer is to position me closer to where God is, not the other way around. Don't most of our prayers ask God to move instead of asking God to move us? I don't know about you, but I've spent the last six months begging God to end this nightmare. Give us a vaccine, turn off the news, end the election, shut down Facebook. I've, I've started telling people that I finally discovered a solution to this whole mess. Cryosleep. You know that sci-fi movie concept where they take a healthy person, they put them in a tube, they drop their body temperature down to absolute zero or whatever, and they leave them there for months or years. That's what I want, cryosleep. Just put me in a tube, wake me up when coronavirus is over. And if anybody wakes me up early, I'm gonna be really mad. My pleading with God has been to do something, but what if God wants to do something in me? What if God wants to do something through me? Well, I wouldn't know because I've been so busy talking at him instead of listening to him. So Elijah climbs the mountain to illustrate that the point of prayer is to move me closer to where God is, not the other way around. And in this way, I move towards God instead of asking God to move towards me. So Elijah climbs to the highest place he can find, close to God as he can get, and he gets down on his knees, and then he puts his, his face between his knees, just something I can't quite seem to accomplish myself. You, you might have heard me talk about the idea of reverence and vulnerability before God. I think about it like this, that God is more powerful than the president, and he's more important than the queen. But if either of those figures were to walk in the room, I would show them an appropriate level of respect. So if, if God, who's even more powerful than the political leader of the free world, even more important than 
than the queen of the longest running monarchy, then shouldn't I show God an even greater level of respect? But how, how I approach God really isn't about hurting God's feelings. He's God after all. My posture before him is really about how I position myself before him, how I think about myself in that moment. I want to put myself in a position of, of yielding, powerless, vulnerable, completely at his service. It's why when I pray, I remove my glasses. I Maybe you've heard me talk about this before. I, I'm, I really don't see well at all. My, my eyesight's really bad. So removing my glasses is a way for me to express and realize my own vulnerability. And it's why we bow our head and we close our eyes when we pray. It's not magic, nothing magical happens. It's, it's about respect. It's about vulnerability. You'd never close your eyes if your enemy was standing in front of you. You would be on alert. But God's not your enemy. He's your friend. He's, you're able to trust him so we get vulnerable. And we sometimes kneel before royalty and sometimes because of that, I get on my knees when I pray. But Elijah goes further than that. He gets in the most vulnerable position possible, as close to God as he can possibly get at the top of the mountain. And then he puts his face between his knees. He's expressing that he is completely at God's mercy in a place that is as completely close to God as he can be. And I don't know how long he was there. We, we don't know how long Elijah remained in this vulnerable position. And we don't know what he said to God. No record is recorded of his prayer or his plea or his request. We don't have any words at all from him. And, and I wonder, it, it occurs to me, maybe it's because Elijah wasn't talking. Maybe he was listening. Maybe Elijah was at the highest place he could find, put himself in the most vulnerable, submissive position he could attain for the sole purpose of hearing God speak. Have you ever done that? You ever gone away, escaped to a place just so you could hear God? And you might say, well, yeah, yeah, I've done that. And so then a good question would be, well, when, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you went out of your way just to listen to God. No distractions, no agenda, no schedule or time frame. Elijah stays here in this position for we don't know how long. And then, go and look toward the sea, he said to his servant. And the servant went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Remember, I don't know how long Elijah was in this position, but I know I can't be in it for very long. It makes me respect him even more. It's hard to do. Elijah was 100% sure it was going to rain. He'd already told Ahab that it was going to rain, that the rain was coming. He knew what God said. He knew that God was going to do it. And now he's on his knees so that he can hear God. He's got his face to the ground because he knows it's going to rain and he, he can see the rain, even though he doesn't see it with his human eyes, he's seeing God's vision. And even though he can't hear the sound with the human ears that he has, 
He's got divine hearing or a connection to it. So the servant says, I don't see anything. And Elijah says, go again. Nope. And again, nada, not a cloud in the sky. And by this time, I think Elijah isn't sweating. I think he's smiling about it all. So the seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand. It's rising from the sea. He's basically saying it's, there's almost nothing there, but I can see some kind of a speck of a cloud. And so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And then the sky grew black with clouds and the winds rose and the heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Here is what we learn about prayer because of Elijah. His prayer was persistent. He didn't give a single prayer all by itself. He didn't think that God had abandoned him. He knew that God was going to send the rain. He knew that God was going to end the drought. He knew that his job was to be faithful. It wasn't to tell God what to do. It was to submit to God completely. And so he got as close as he could to God. He put himself in the most vulnerable, most submissive position he could, and he trusted God all that he could. Then and only then, a cloud as small as a man's hand formed way out on the horizon. I don't know what you've been praying for, but I know this. God is completely faithful to do what he's promised. The drought will end, the cloud will form, and we will receive the rain. If only we would be faithful to him all along the way, because he is faithful to us. Believe it, the rain is coming. The heavens will open. Blessing is on the horizon, but you can't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing that God is at work. There's a cloud on the horizon. The rain is coming. We receive. Would you like to stand with us if you're not already? We're going to sing this song together. Hear the world roaring thunder with a new future to tell for the dry season's over. There is a cloud beginning to swell. We hear it, we see it. 
To the skies, heavy with blessing. Look up, y'all. Lift your eyes, offer your heart. Oh, Jesus Christ, open the heavens. Now we receive the Spirit of God. Yes, we do. We receive it. We await the promise to come. Everything that you have spoken will come to pass. Let it be done. 